I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Last week, we indulged the sort of dreamier, more aspirational parts of our characters by talking about hypercars. And this week, we're offsetting all of that and bring ourselves back down to earth with an episode all about hot hatches. Frankly, hot hatches mean more to me than hypercars do anyway. Andrew, I suspect they probably resonate more with you as well. Oh, well, A, hello. B, um, yes, don't know. Interesting. Well, hypercars, yes, definitely. Um, uh, because hypercars are rare and rarefied things, aren't they? And hot, hatch, hot hatches are, are part of our absolute everyday lives. You know, we, we we've owned them, we've driven, we've done everything. So, so yes, um, I'm personally, I think that I think there's space for both. But you know, I'm really, really looking forward to this. Not least because I think there is a kind of a a suspicion out there that um, we have <laughs> frankly dis- disappeared up our own fundaments and can only consider cars if they've got at least a thousand horsepower. And and and, and it would be nice at least to show that we do. We're, we're not quite as monodimensional as that. Yeah, quite right. But we. Have- have been sort of planning this episode of the podcast for a while lots of people have asked for it as well um so now is the time to do it i've spent a few days recently in an up gti a vw up gti which is a very flawed car but it's hugely good fun um andrew can you remind us what you're running as a long-termer right now i am running a ford focus st um a very orange ford focus st uh which is you know, the funny thing is, um, and I wrote about this um, on uh, on Drive Nation, um, having had, frankly, a fairly ridiculous couple of fortnights in which I've driven uh, uh, yeah, all sorts of things, you know, the Speedtail, the SF90, and F8, and NSX. So, um, you kind of, you know, you get back into an absolutely everyday um, common a garden hatch hat, hot hatch, and you kind of, you, you kind of think, wouldn't you, that it would be like, oh, well, you know. That was fun. Uh, here we are, back to back to reality. But it's not like that at all. It's you know, it doesn't diminish it at all. You get in it and you enjoy it for exactly the same reasons you enjoyed it before. You drove all the stupid stuff, um, and it's one of the things I like about. It. And I think partly that's because they're just so usable. Because you can just you can extract so much of the potential from them in a way that you simply can't in in even an F8, let alone an SF90. Um, where you're always you know just sort of chipping away, using twenty percent here, thirty percent there. You know, maybe forty percent, but then oh, you frighten yourself, and you got. And whereas, <laughs> in, you know, you get you get into an up GTI, and you're just, you know, ninety eight percent everywhere you go, aren't you? Exactly right. I've I've just written more almost exactly that for Pistonheads. Um, yeah, it's it's all about 
how much of a car's performance you can use. And hot hatches, perhaps more so than any other type of performance car on the road, allow you to use their performance. That's why they're so fun. But let's go all the way back to the start, the origins of the hot hatch. And Andrew, as any idiot knows, it all started with the Golf GTI in 1976. Go. Except it didn't. You think of any famous car which is famous for doing a certain thing, it almost certainly didn't do it. Uh, You know, the the Land Rover wasn't the first SUV. The Range Rover wasn't the first luxury SUV. The Aspas wasn't the first MPV. um, And the Golf GTI certainly wasn't the first hot hatch. Um, I I can go on and on forever about this sort of stuff. Um, before that, there was an Auto Bianchi and there was a Simca, but you know, it's fair to say it's kind of like, um, you know, the de Havilland Comet being the jet that pioneered the jet, the, the, the jet age. But in fact, nobody remembers that. Everybody remembers that Boeing came along with a thing called the 707, and everybody thinks that was the first commercially successful jetliner. So, what Volkswagen did, which was so clever, was it recognised um, that the idea was really, really good and did something proper with it but it certainly wasn't Volkswagen's idea at all um so yeah but so so you know I suppose the Golf GTI was the one that created the legend uh of the hot hatch certainly because there wasn't a thing such as the hot hatch before that you know there were hatchbacks that were slightly faster than the normal hatchbacks they were based upon but the whole concept and certainly the name um didn't exist before the Golf GTI but it wasn't the first yeah exactly so it's perhaps not unreasonable that it's credited with being sort of genesis for for this type of car although you know you've mentioned a few of the earlier ones and i think even if you go back to the early 1960s when the the, the first mini cooper arrived okay it, okay it didn't have a hatchback um technically but that's semantics isn't it because it's still um a hotter version of a otherwise very ordinary car um and so it's not much of a leap to go from a mini cooper to you know, a, a hatchback that happens to have a hatchback boot with yeah, a slightly also, hotter engine. The, the other great example, which also, it actually got a hatch very late in life, but um, certainly in the early 1970s, long before the Golf was around, the Alpha Sud. You know, that was a car, you know, an Alpha, 1.3 Alpha Sud Ti was a, was a hot hatch in all but hatch. I mean, it had, you know, in, in, in 1970s, it had a five-speed gearbox, it had disc brakes, it had independent rear spin. I mean, it was... You know, it was just a complete class above, you know, anything else you can get, but it didn't have a hatchback. So it, it, these days it's not regarded as being, you know, part of the category. But to me, it absolutely is. You're completely correct. Um, and the French performance car enthusiasts will be on our backs if we don't mention the fact that the Renault 5 Alpine or the Gordini in the UK was on sale here or throughout Europe, I suppose, two months before the Golf GTI. In there you go. So, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so do you remember the wheels, the alloy wheels that those things have, those three stud alloy wheels? I just, ah, oh, it was actually, it was a really, really good looking car. I've never driven one, um, but um, I'd like to. I can't imagine there are that many left, but yeah, yeah, absolutely right. That's a good question. There can't be many Renault 5 Gordinis on the road in the UK. Maybe we need to look that up. Um, okay, so I think we, we can probably agree that the, the Golf GTI in the mid 70s, although it didn't, it wasn't the first ever hot hatch, it was the one that brought the category to life. What are the sort of landmark hot hatches that spring to mind, um, aside from the the Golf GTI? We did a podcast recently talking about the cars that we've owned, um, and you talk about the 205 GTI that you had. I mean, it's still one of the sort of apex hot hatches of that era, isn't it? It's one of the greats. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you can remove the words of that era from from, 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 from your sentence. I I think it, I mean... 
I don't think that anybody else has yet distilled better the essence of what a hot hatchback should be than Peugeot did with the 205 GTI and well it started in 1984. Um, you know it's a great looking car, um, it's extraordinarily light, uh, it has a lovely um, sweet spinning normally aspirated um, four-cylinder engine loved beautiful gearbox and the most exquisite handling balance um and that's what it's all about it's nothing clever there's no sophisticated stuff on it but it's what it's got done really really well um and i for myself well of course i would say this because i've got one but i don't think that anyone has done it convincingly better than that um in the whatever it is gosh 35 years since yeah yeah and there was something about that package as a whole the 205 gti it became not just yeah we don't like this word but it did become legendary but it also it became so desirable didn't it in the in the 80s um it was such a such a sort of x-factor car and people wanted one and actually it was a little 205 um i, I think that kind of demonstrates just how how desirable how likable a good a well-judged hot hatch can be yeah but you didn't think of it as being a 205 any more than you thought of a golf gti being a, a mark mark one golf they were they were they were breeds apart i mean i know this because you know i i had one um back in the 80s because i briefly worked in the city and for once in my life had a bit of money um and at the age of what well, god i was probably 20 or something i went and bought a brand new 205 gti i think it's the only brand new car i've ever bought um and um you know and, and i bought it because obviously i really i, I just love the, the concept and the idea but i also love the look and it's exactly what you're talking about it's just it, it just captured something it was the go-to car i think in much the same way that the mini cooper was in the 1960s not that i'm quite old enough to remember that but um yeah it, it just it just captured something um and i'm not sure that anything's done it better since to be honest yeah it almost seems like a shame that today's hot hatches are trying harder and harder to be faster more powerful clever cleverer more sophisticated machines um when you look at the the basic ingredients in the really great hot hatches they're actually very simple cars yes completely um simplicity done well it's all about um, you know the setup. One of the reasons I would say the reason that the 205 GTI has sort of passed into folklore is because you know above everything else, it's an outstanding driver's car. Um, and by that I actually mean that if you didn't drive it properly, you could get into trouble. Um, and I know this because with my old one, the back in the, in the 1980s, before I knew how to drive, I got into trouble in it all the time until, you know, I figured out what to do. Um, but it was responsive and it was rewarding and it was just a proper thing to do. It was so much more than a good looking hatch with a big fast engine in it it was a properly resolved driving machine um in its braking and its performance and its handling it, it, it was the whole package it was the real deal okay i'm going to set out my sort of generic blueprint for a hot hatch and you can tell me what i've got right and what i've got wrong uh, where we where we agree and disagree i yeah. think i think a hot hatch apart from having a hatchback boot um should be a compact car i mean that's that should be a given given that it's based on um, you know, a conventional hatchback, but some hatchbacks nowadays are bigger, aren't they? But let's say it's a fairly compact car. Um, I think it should have an amount of straight line performance that sort of elevates it over and above most everyday traffic on the road, but that remains usable. 
Um, and I think it should have a type of handling that makes it fun and exciting to drive, but that isn't skewed towards outright performance or outright grip. Um, and I think it should be relatively affordable, or at least within realistic reach. Um, I think also that it needs to maintain a good degree of usability and practicality, um, at least as much as any other hatchback car. Um, what are you adding or subtract, subtracting to and from that recipe? Um, I'm terrifying a little. I mean, I hate to agree with you on everything because it's just boring. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly think that that is the essence of it. I mean, lightness to me is... Uh, but also things like, you know, it's got to, a hot hatchback, if it's to be credible, it's got to get the basics right. It's got to have, you know, decent seats that actually sort of hold you in place. Because these are, you know, because these are all based on shopping cars and cars which aren't regularly going to be driven the way that we'd like to drive hot hatchbacks. There's lots of things that need to be done to them. Um, and yeah, they, they just need to be, I mean, fun is the word. I mean, okay, so you can't lose the practicality. That is the most important thing. I think that was so incredibly clever about both the 205 which is, in packaging terms, an absolute miracle, uh, and the Golf GTI, which was just a new level of practicality and usability when it came out. Um, so you can't, you can't lose that. So you retain all of that. You don't compromise any of it. But at the same time, within that structure, you just make it as fun as you can. Um, and if that means that it oversteers when you lift off the throttle, then fine. Absolutely great. No worries at all. What do you think about things like turbochargers and four-wheel drive and, and all these things that we've seen over the years sort of get... Do, do, do they add to the experience or do, do they detract or is it very much case-specific? Uh, interesting point. Maybe it's case-specific, but I suspect that turbochargers were needed because people began to expect more power. Uh, four-wheel drive was needed because the power outputs were growing higher and higher uh, and... Two, two driven wheels on the front axle couldn't put it all down to the road. Um, so I, th I think the basic recipe for a great hot hatch, if it's small enough, if it's light enough, is manual box, front wheel drive, uh, modest but uh, you know energetic, revy, normally aspirated engine. Um, and sadly, if you look at those basic principles, there's no modern hot hatch that delivers those. No. No, not least because they've all got turbochargers now, haven't they? Yeah, just exactly. about. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's interesting. What, what do you reckon then? Do you think the the hot hatch breed sort of peaked a few decades ago, or do you think turbocharging and four wheel drive have added to the game? Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think four wheel drive has added to the game at all. Um, uh, I, I, I I understand exactly what you mean about needing four-wheel drive to handle the power but the point is the cars shouldn't have the power in the first place because that's not what those cars are about yeah yeah um you know if you ask me which focus rs i would much most prefer to go out and drive now the first or the most recent i'd go and drive the first one um because it was you know it, it had the right so i think it had 217 horsepower which it could easily deploy through the front wheels with a really good diff in it. Um, and it was light and it was agile. Whereas the last one, I thought, I thought it was one of the most overrated cars I've driven. <laughs> um, I thought it was heavy. I thought it was cumbersome. I didn't think that it had much feel to it. 
it was a bludgeon. It was a kind of a blunt instrument, um, which, you know, on paper all looked terribly impressive. But when you actually went out there and you drove the thing, I just found myself thinking, well, you know, what is all the fuss about? What have I missed? What have I misunderstood about this car? And I, you know, I drove, you know, I suppose I must have driven three or four over, over the time that it was out. And I never got to the bottom of it. So four wheel drive. No, turbochargers, I think that, I think two things. I think one is turbo technology has, you know, has come on so far. Um, and, you know, the, particularly with the Focus ST I've got, which has got quite a big engine in it, it's got 2.3 in it with a turbo on it. It is so responsive. Um, so I think the, and it also, it sounds quite good. So I think that there are ways of mitigating the traditional shortcomings of turbochargers. Um, but also, you know, we all know that modern cars for, you know, tedious emissions and economy reasons kind of have to have them um, because, you know, you couldn't have. And for packaging, really, you know, if you wanted to get, I mean, the Focus has got, I can't remember now, I think it's got like 270 horsepower. Well, if you wanted that out of a normally aspirated engine, you'd probably have to have four litres and you'd never get it under the bonnet. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a no-go. So I, th- I think turbochargers I find less objectionable um, than, uh, than four-wheel drive. But frankly, I'd just much rather the cars were so light that they didn't need either. Yeah, I completely agree. Right, I'm glad you mentioned the Mark III Ford Focus RS because in my episode notes here, it says, and we'll come back to this a little bit later on, it says, have an argument with Andrew about the Mark III Ford Focus (laughs) RS. And mostly because I do have a slightly different point of view on that car. We'll come to it later. Um, okay, but we—I do have a slightly different point of view on that car. But mostly, I want to talk about it because somebody sent us a note on Instagram saying, "I enjoy the podcast. It would be great if you could find some topics that you disagree on." Um, yeah, I saw that, and this is one. So there we go. I think that would be interesting. We'll come to that later on. But back to back to this chat for now. So, what do you reckon? Um, how does a good hot hatch stack up to a proper purpose-built sports car? Because in theory, on paper, something like a Mazda MX-5, which was designed from the ground up to be a performance car. It's low, it's light, rear-wheel drive, really good chassis balance, all the rest of it. I mean, it's, it's, the, the, the basics are so much more right for a performance car than uh, what is actually an adapted shopping trolley, basically, you know? And yet, I suspect if we, when we get stuck into this, we'll find many hot hatches that we'd think we'd rather drive than many sports cars. Do you know, funnily enough, I did, um, I did for Autocar, must have been a couple of years back, um, a twin test um, between a, well, it was effectively a Fiat 124, you know, the Arbath thing, um, and a Honda Civic Type R, to, literally to answer this very question. Um, and actually, the Arbath was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I really didn't have very high hopes for it uh, i guess because it's you know mx5 based and um even a rather rubbish engine from fiat couldn't completely mess that up um but in the end i think i gave it to the honda because and and, and that's the extraordinary thing you know, the thing about hot hatchbacks is that they should they just shouldn't be as good as they as they are because they're driven at the wrong end all their mass is is at the wrong end um you know they are that they should be hopeless and you shouldn't be able to engineer your way out of a disadvantage is substantially that particularly as you say when you know you're comparing yourself to you know low slung two seat light sports cars with you know an engine at one end and driven wheels down the other you know the perfect configuration for having fun on the road and yet we know that some of these cars are so good 
um, that when you factor in the fact that you can actually go and use them, you can put you know your children in the back, you can go shopping in them, you go on holiday in them, you know they're quiet and they're comfortable and they, and they just work in your daily life. You know that's why you know many many more hot hatchbacks than are sold than, than little sports cars um, because they just work. Yeah, and you, the best hot hatches are exceptionally well-rounded machines. They're so broadly capable. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I like them so much. Um, and also, you look at the the level of engineering, the quality of the engineering that several manufacturers are throwing at these apparently quite humble cars. Um, it's it's extraordinary. Yeah, you mentioned the Civic Type R. I think that's a I think that's a great car. Easily the best Civic Type R. Uh, that they've done for me um, and I, I think I think it's brilliant to drive and then you start looking at Nürburgring lap times I think we've addressed how how, irre- how irrelevant Nürburgring, Nürburgring lap times are in the past but nonetheless the fact that something that's based on a front wheel drive everyday family hatchback is capable of getting around that place in Within eight minutes, as several hot <laughs> hatches are. It's Anybody bonkers. who's been to the Nurburgring uh, and has some understanding of, of of just how fast you've got to drive to get around there in less than eight minutes, um, yeah, I mean it, it 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 is it is bonkers. But you're right. Um, you know, I, I go back to the focus only because it's what's uppermost in my mind at the moment. It's because it's parked outside. Um, but you know, I I I I drive cars quite a lot as you do, uh, and, I, and I've got a really I've got a reasonably good idea when I get into a car of of where the money is being spent and the amount of money that Ford has spent on tuning that chassis, um, or they've just got geniuses doing it because it is it's so unreasonably good. It is so capable, um, and I'm not just talking about grip. I'm talking about its poise and its accuracy and its balance and its feel. Um, it is it is extraordinary for a car that costs you know thirty grand, um, and you know it's almost as if well I suspect this does have something to do with it. it you know they kind of knew there wasn't going to be an RS version of this generation of Focus, and they just thought well okay so this has to be the standard bearer for now. So we really do need it can't be the sort of the second stringer, the sort of you know fast forward light that it's been in the past. This has to stand up. Um, to represent um, you know that kind of car for its entire generation and uh, certainly dynamically it's it's absolutely nailed it what about the other side of the coin long motorway journey driving through town all that stuff good enough um you know it's actually you know i'm a bloke in his mid-50s i'm i'm not the target buyer for those sorts of cars and i can remember when i was um you know, even things like, you know, 205s, you know, the, the, the one I've got, it'll sit on the motorway at, you know, whatever speed you want to do at the motorway. I mean, the thing is, it's good enough. I mean, these cars are, you know, they're not, you know, rock hard. Um, they can be quiet. They can be reasonably comfortable. Um, you know, a few of them are completely brilliant. But, you know, there, there aren't very many that I can think of where you just think to yourself, actually, this car is just too uncivilized. I mean, there are some, you know, those those two-seat Renaults and Mini GPs and that sort of thing where you just think they really have completely um, forgotten what these cars are, you know, should be about um, in the interest of getting some kind of, you know, crazy lap time out of it. But in the main, um, you know, I, I think that that's part of the, that's part of the formula. That's part of the deal is that you, whatever you do, you don't destroy the very reason that people are interested in that configuration of car in the first place. Yeah. I d- okay. So I, I want to talk about uh, a hot hatch that you have mentioned briefly already. Um, and this is because I, I suspect, I don't know if you were on staff still at the time or, well, I know you were at least contributing to Autocar at the time that the original Ford Focus RS came out. Um, and do you remember there was, there was sort of all sorts of differing opinions 
between magazines and probably between staffers on the same magazine as to whether this thing was good or not. Um, yeah. I remember some people saying it's a, it's a liability, it feels dangerous on the road, and others saying it was genius. Um, where do you stand on that? And can you explain why some people saw it so differently? I can't. I can't. I, I never saw it like that. I just thought it was, I just thought it was wondrous from the get-go. I can remember, because I, I happen to have a bit of context here, uh, I can remember, actually, I had an M3 CSL. Um, and uh, some of you listening to me will know that uh, Chris Harris and I um, live, uh, well, not far apart from each other. Um, and he had a Focus RS. Um, and I think it might have been his autocar long-term or something. I can't remember. But anyway, um, we did swapsies and we went for a drive. Uh, and Chris, as I'm sure all of you will know, doesn't hang about. And I can just remember sitting in this Focus, having never driven it before, sitting on the back of Chris Harris driving an M3 CSL, probably as fast as he was comfortable driving it. Um, and Chris is a quicker, better driver than me. And just being able to sit there without making any great effort at all and just thinking, this is incredible. Because that's the, you know, that's the best that BMW can do with its sort of ultimate nameplate, the M3. And here I am sitting in a fast Ford and I'm just sitting there quietly keeping up with him, not taking anything out of myself, not taking anything out of the car. I thought it was... I thought it was one of those cars. I thought it was, you know, in its era, probably as impressive as the 205 was in its era. Uh, And I don't understand unless, you know, sometimes you find with these things, there's something wrong with a press car. Um, And one set of people get one press car and you get the other one and they think it's rubbish because, I don't know, someone's, you know, curbed it and deranged the front suspension or whatever and it doesn't feel right. I never never thought it was scary. I never thought it was, you know, dangerous or, or anything like it. I just thought it was a really good fast fun engaging hatchback um and you know probably until this st i would say certainly of the focuses fiestas are different because i love those two um it's the best one they've done wow interesting it's yeah it's so fun i remember it really vividly reading all those reviews all those years ago um and i also remember autocar published a letter from one jay clarkson who i think he was writing about something else and in a postscript he said by the way, the Ford, Ford Focus RS is a liability. Um, so I, I also wonder if people actually weren't quite used to the concept of a front-wheel drive car with a, a, a lumpy, torquey turbocharged engine and quite a tightly wound diff. Um, and you know, perhaps a few people drove it on particular roads in the wet and found it quite fighty. Um, I, I, I don't actually have an opinion for myself because I've just not driven one. It's, it, it's one of those cars that has escaped me. Um, I, th- I, I, th- I think you'll find that uh, Ford Public Affairs have one on their historic fleet. And I think it is part of your automotive education to ring them up the moment you, we, we, we end this podcast and, 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 and make sure that you do because, you know, otherwise you're just not qualified to talk on these subjects. <laughs> okay, I'll get that done right away, sir. Um, okay. You've, you've mentioned already the Ford Focus RS, the Mark III. We are going to come back to that a little bit later on. Clearly, you think that was a bit of a clunker. But I, I th- we, we spend so much time praising great cars on this podcast. I think maybe we should call out some of the not-so-great hot hatches. Um, what, what comes to mind? 147 GTA, is that fair? 147 GTA. Okay, more recently, um, the latest McGann Trophy, the £72,000 thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny on paper. And when you drive it for what it is, which is a front wheel drive hatchback, it does absolutely amazing things. I don't want to take that away. It does amazing things and it will record an amazing lap time. 
Um, and it all works terribly well until you think about what else you could be driving for that kind of money. And the word, you know, given that it's only got two seats, and it's not long before the word Cayman turns up in your head, at which stage the conversation ends. Um, and, you know, cars like that, I just, you know... Um, Fine. If they're brand builders, and if there if there if there are some people who that sort of thing floats their boat, then absolutely fine. But but to me, um, just a sort of a standard Megane Trophy is just a, an infinitely better car than that. Uh, yeah, the Alpha 147 GTA. Um, yeah, lovely engine. Very little about the rest of it that I liked. Um, let's yeah, let's let's talk um, Mark III Golf GTI. Cool. I mean, jeez. <laughs> After I mean, the Mark that was one a car, and two in particular. After the one, but yeah, yeah, after the one and the two. So you know, this I think it was back in the era when hot hatches were getting nicked a lot, and so they decided that they 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 just make them so boring to drive that nobody would want to steal them. Um, and that's the best yeah, kind I mean, of security system, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and that was, I mean, that was just an insult to the badge. It really, really was. The Mark IV wasn't much better either. Um, I mean, there have I mean, there have been plenty. There be there, there there have been cars. Uh, you won't remember the Fiesta RS Turbo of oh God, but I don't know, it would be early nineteen nineties, I guess. Um, I can remember thinking the only thing I liked about that car were its seats. <laughs> it had these Keep huge, the chunky. It had some brilliant Recaros in it, um, and I think Autocar had a long termer, and I just hated it. I just hated it with every fibre of my being. Apart from those seats, which are jolly comfortable, um, so I'm sure I would go and sort of sit in it in the car park. I didn't want to drive the thing. Um, yeah, so there, so yeah, I mean, there, 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 there have been there have been plenty of them um, over time. In fact, most of them actually, if you think about it, because so the thing with with so many hot hatchbacks, it's a bandwagon which so many manufacturers jumped on, um, and you just forget you you know you just forget all those I don't know all those Astras and. Um, you know stuff like that, which just never really quite did it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. That Fiat Tipo GTI. I mean, <laughs> just a, an insult to those three letters, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, but uh, look, I, well, I mean, let, let, let's accentuate the positive um, because there've been plenty of nice ones too. Um, okay, so we, we've spoken a little bit about some of those more extreme hot hatches, well, they call themselves hot hatches. I don't think they are. The two-seat ones. So it all started, didn't it, really, with the Megane R26R, which, in isolation, is a... I really love that car. I think it's brilliant. Great fun. Um, But I don't consider it a hot hatch because without that level of practicality, without that rear bench, um, that bench seat, it's it's just nothing like as usable for me as a hot hatch should be. Um, No. And I, I therefore think it's something else. It's a it's a weird hatchback front wheel drive sports car or something. I don't know. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a two seat sports car. Yeah, like a Porsche Cayman is a two seat sports car. And those you know, and given that that's what certainly the, the you know the, the latest one, that's what the, the that's what it's priced against. That's what it should be compared to because you know no nobody buys um, you know that latest Megane um, to do the school run to go shopping because you know you can't get anything in it. So. Um, you know, you can only buy it as a driving machine, um, and therefore it should be compared against other driving machines that are available for that sort of money. And th- and that is where those cars always fall down to me. Um, and I'd just much rather have you know the one which is you know half the price but ninety five percent as fast, which you can actually get in and use. Yeah, I, I do agree. Um, one of the best ones of those, whatever they are, that I've driven uh, is the the Volkswagen Golf GTI 
No, sorry. Yes, the GTI Club Sport S, which had a 310 horsepower engine, um, still front wheel drive, of course, no rear seats, super clever diff, um, and they spent God knows how much money um, on the suspension at each corner. Um, and it was it was an extraordinary machine and mission and cup two tires as well. Um, it, it was a brilliant thing, but again, not really a hot hatch. Actually, that was one of the best launch events that I've ever done um, because they was did that it. The Nurburgring they one? did it at the Nurburgring on the North yeah, Shelf. Yeah, I was there. Oh, you were there. Oh, yes, you were there. I remember. I do remember now. And we, oh God. Okay, so I, I, I can tell this story now a bit more modestly because you were there as well, and you'll have the same story. So we were doing. Ducks and Drakes around the 13 mile Nordschleife with what's his name Benny Lechner or Lechner or something can't remember do you remember little Benny short Benny he was the guy who a racing driver who set the Club Sport S's Nürburgring lap time it broke the front wheel drive production car lap record with a something like a 7 minute 50 and we which is bonkers <laughs> and we had so he was leading yeah. um, and we had three or four of us in identical cars behind um, and he would what did we do maybe we did one warm-up lap and then a quicker lap um and if you got lucky and the other journalists in your group were up for going quickly as well you really really got on it and i remember having to work bloody hard i think i was second in the line immediately behind steve sutcliffe and of course it's the, the first car behind the lead car that determines the pace if that car drops right back the lead Correct. car will slow down but if that car is on the lead car's tail, you go quickly. Um, and given it was Sutcliffe... And you lead, and you lead all the others behind Exactly. You. And given it was Sutcliffe, we were, we were going hard. Um, and it was extraordinary how quickly a golf could get around this place. Um, and, and we spoke to Benny at the end, and he said he reckoned that we were around 30 seconds off his record-breaking lap pace. Um, which, A... 30 seconds and we're going that fast. I, I couldn't really believe that. It's but, do you, but, but, but do you know what? It's not, that, it's not that much. It really isn't that much. If you consider how well Benny knows the Nürburgring um, compared to you, and if you consider how well he knows that car compared to you, um, and if you consider that it's a 13-mile lap, so, you know, if it was a 1.3 mile lap, like, I don't know, the Indy Circuit at Brands, that 30 seconds becomes three seconds, and then suddenly it doesn't That's seem a, so much at all. It's a very it? good point. Yeah, you do make a good point. So, so pat, pat yourself on the back, you're bloody fast. And it made me think, okay, well, we've just done an 8 minute 20 around this place, um, which is, that yes, does seem quick, rapid. doesn't it? In a Volkswagen Golf. Bonkers. Anyway, we shouldn't be talking about these cars because they're not hot hatches. No. Move on. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Rally Refugees. Um, um, these are. So, oh, we're going to disagree. I've got something we're going to disagree about, but pray continue. Okay, well, these aren't hot hatches either. I wasn't going to say that. No, I was going to say, I, I, was, going, I, I, was, about, I was about to interject with a particular car, which I, I, I suspect you will like more than me. Oh, I, I know which one. You may not have driven one. one. I, 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 I always forget how young you are. You may not have driven one of these, but, but I have. Do, do, do continue. I know what you're going to say. So these are, okay, these are Group A era um, rally replicas, yeah. uh, things like the Nissan Sunny GTIR, um, Integrali. So these are four-wheel drive turbo hot hatches, and the Escort RS Cosworth. Yes, I had I had that right, didn't I? You, you're you're not a fan. I'll tell you something else. Go on. I'm not a massive fan of the Integrale. <gasps> oh my! Ooh! I get into, every time I say this, <laughs> I get into so much trouble. 
Um, because I mean, I know that they will be integrally owners listening to this. Who will be who who, who will well, throw they were last of you mean into, were yes, who just thrown <laughs> there? Yeah, um, okay, let, 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 let me be very careful about this. And that's not true. I, I really like Integralis. Um, I think they are great. No, I think they're good cars. <laughs> I think they do the job pretty well. But I've never fallen in love with an Integrale. And I've driven at least one example of every kind there has been from before they were called Integrales, when they were just called the Lancia HF4WD. Um, and... I mean, I mean, when I started Autocar, you know, Integralis, we had a long-term auto, yeah, Integrali the day I joined Autocar. And, and, and I, I grew up through all of that. I, I think I've spoken on a previous podcast about the last really significant accident I had was 28 years ago now, blimey, in an Integrali. And that was one of the, you know, the Evo cars. And that's not why I'm a bit down on Integralis. I just, I've never felt that sense of involvement and fun from them. I've been objectively impressed by them, and uh, I like them a lot more than an Escort RS. But um, I, yeah, they never just, they just never quite did it for me. Um, and you know, I drove one. We, we did a thing at Autocar called the Hot Hatch World Cup, <laughs> which was ridiculous. But um, you got to earn a living somehow. And, and 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 we went through various rounds of various countries entering various cars, and the final ended up being the Integrali versus a 205 GTI. Um, and I didn't own a 205 GTI at the time, so it wasn't like I was feathering my own nest. Um, in fact, quite the reverse, because I was probably pushing up the price of 205 GTIs at the time I wanted to buy one. But um, we had an Integrale, a really lovely um, Evolution Integrale, and we had a 205 GTI, which is actually quite an old car with a f- six-figure number of miles on its clock. And it was just funnier. It was just a, it was just a more fun car to drive. There, I've said it. Yeah, off your chest. Well, there we go. You've reduced our podcast audience by half, but at least you're being truthful. But let me get, let me get stuck into the Escort while we're here. Well, get rid of the other half. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I, okay, I was such an enormous fan of the Sierra Cosworth. Uh, and because I knew that underneath it, the Escort was actually a Sierra, and they just stuck an Escort badge on it because that's kind of what they had to do. Um, I just thought this was going to be amazing. And they ruined it. They just... It just okay, I probably only drove two, but I can't believe they were both wrong. And they just understeered. They just understeered and understeered and understeered. And body rolled. And, you know, the engine, yeah, and the, and the engines of those things, they, you know, they were always you know, just tools for doing a job. There was never anything nice about that two-litre Cosworth four-cylinder turbo thing. Um, and... I just never got it. I never ever. I mean, they look quite cool, but in that in many regards, that made it worse because it kind of, you know, the car wrote a check or the looked wrote a check that the car beneath couldn't cash. Um, and yeah, I, I've never got it. I've never understood them. Um, and yeah, really disappointing car. Because <laughs> Fords really have had some uh, one or two shockers uh, and a few of the greats as well. It's it- oh, but you know, it, it, it was it was a Ford. It was my when I was when I was seventeen and I had a two CV. Uh, my mate Ben, because he was well, frankly, wealthier than me. He had an XR two. He had an original circular headlight um, Mark One pepper pot wheel um, Fiesta XR two. Um, and just occasionally, um, usually because he was pissed and he needed driving home, I get to drive the XR two. Um, and it was just fabulous. I mean, that was, I mean, that, that, that's kind of what got me onto hot hatches to, 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 to begin with. And I think there have been loads of really, really good ones since. And yeah, and, and, and quite a few that, that weren't. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk. Not many average ones. Anyway, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> let's talk about some of the better, more recent Ford hot hatches, the, the Fiestas, um, the current and the previous Fiesta ST. I, both just 
brilliant little things. Because see, if somebody said to you, Dan, bad news is um, you've got one of these and you can't drive anything else for the rest of your days. I mean, you'd, you'd be a bit put out, but you'd be thinking, but, but yeah, actually, in terms of what you want from a car, it kind of just, it's, it's fast and it's fun and it puts a smile on your face. I mean, if, if on, a, you know, on a Monday morning you look out the window and what is sitting there waiting for you puts a smile on your face, it's kind of job done for a car, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Um, and, you know, those two, those two STs in particular um, did that. So which, so which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the, the older car with the four-cylinder engine but the perhaps slightly sharper handling or do you prefer the newer one with that lovely triple in it but a little bit, uh, less incisive, I suppose. I've, I have, I've had a, a better drive. I've had more fun overall in the earlier one. Um, and I, I'll always have a, a connection with that car because it was the first... Was it the first small hot hatch I loved? No, it wasn't really. But I, I, I don't know. I, it blew the competition away um, as far as I was concerned. And it just made me sit up and go, wow, this is how good a small hot hatch can be. I remember thinking that even okay, so it handled beautifully and it had a really good punchy engine, but also in the details, it was like a Porsche. Um, and I mean, control weights, the way they were matched, the how consistent the responses were, all that stuff. It was they re- you got the impression, didn't you, that the people who set that up really knew yeah, what they were doing, yeah, yeah. Uh, and not only did they know what they were doing. They understood the context, so they weren't setting it up for a lap time. They weren't setting it up to make them look like superheroes. They were set, when they set it up. They were thinking of guys like you and me, um, and that's and that's what I that's what I so love. And but believe me, I don't know when you last had a good go in a Focus ST, but you know, that's that's exactly the same feeling you get in the, in the ST too. You just think this car is so. I don't know what it'd be like on a track. I haven't driven it around a track yet. It might not be very good, but on the road, it is. Yeah, it's just fantastic. That's the thing about the Fiesta STs. They they had their priorities right because it's good on track. But if you go chasing a lap time, if you're giving it everything on track, they get a little bit ragged. Um, yes, but on definitely. on the road at, at quick road speeds, they're magical. I, they did the launch of the Fiesta ST two hundred, which was the the later, slightly more powerful version of the the previous shape, um, and they did that down in the south of France, and we took it. We charged over from wherever we flew into, maybe it was Nice Airport, and we charged over to the Route Napoleon. And I spent a day in the summer in gorgeous weather nailing this thing back and forth along the Route Napoleon. Um, and, and it was just spellbindingly good. Um, I, I've, yeah, I always thought that if I, if I needed an everyday car that had to you know, occasionally carry people in the, in the back and stuff in the boot... Um, and it was my money. That's what I'd have. I just, I, 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 it's great that that car demonstrates that actually a really brilliant performance car doesn't need to be expensive. No, I can, I completely agree with you. Um, to me, it's, 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 it's kind of like on a completely different and much lower level. It's like, it's almost like a sort of, you know, a, a BMW M2 comp. It's the sort of compact junior member of the team which just shows that actually you don't need more than that because it's not about how fast you go it's about how much fun you have going fast um and i yeah i think i completely agree i think those things do it brilliantly okay from ford to voxel and I'd, Ooh, yes. i just want to know if you've ever really liked a voxel hot hatch yeah i really liked no not really quite liked. liked um quite liked a few um the original god astra gte um 
I, I, I had an MG Metro, which we, we, what, what having an MG Metro meant was you could turn up at a Vauxhall dealer and they'd let you test drive an Astra GTE. Because if you turned up in anything else, uh, if you just turned up a normal Metro, they wouldn't have looked at you. But they, but you, they, they thought it was just possible that an MG Metro owner could be thinking about trading up. So, so the, and that's basically how I got my kicks when I was a kid. I just used to go, you know, go around to car dealers in my Metro and go, can I have a drive in this? <laughs> and, and, and you'd be surprised at, at, at how many different things I did manage to get into. So yeah, those, um, what, what else? There's, I can't remember which one. There was a Corsa VXR, which wasn't that terrible. <laughs> um, um, and, and, sorry, I, I'm, 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 I know I'm damning with faint damning, but um, uh, things like the current, you know, the, the, the current Astra VXR, um, you know, it's a good car, but the problem is, it, you know, it, it's the perennial Vauxhall thing, isn't it? You know, being good isn't good enough. You know, when you're out there, when you've got, you know, the current Golf GTI, you've got the Focus ST, you've got a Civic Type R, you know, just being pretty good and thinking, oh, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's, they've done okay there. Well, there you haven't, because these cars are, you know, the, the best are so good. If you're not up there among them, then you kind of think, well, what's the point? You know, every, every, every car, so I'm, I'm just going to go off on one for a minute here. <laughs> every car that's on sale, regardless of what it is, there has to have a reason where a certain person in a certain set of circumstances would be able to look at it and think, that's the car for me. Above anything else that's out there, that's the car that I should buy because it works for me on a, in a way that nothing else does. And I just don't get that about those cars. I mean, you know, it may be that there's some great finance deal you can get it, so they work on that way. But in, as a thing, as an object, as a, as a car to get in and drive, I don't think I have ever driven a fast Vauxhall, which I would say was even close to, let alone the best car in its class. Mm. Perhaps that's why Vauxhall hasn't bothered with a fast uh, Astra VXR for a couple of years, a few years. Um, My first long-termer at Evo magazine, um, I was, yeah, you go to Evo and what do you you think you're going to get? Oh, good, I'm going to get an M3 here or maybe a 911. I had a Vauxhall Corsa, uh, but it was a a VXR, I love the optimistic use of this of this badge. It was a VXR Club Sport. <laughs> what, what, what was the Club Sport element? What, what made it a Club Sport? Um, it, okay, it had a few bits and pieces. So it had some uprated brakes. Maybe they were Brembo's. Uh, oh, I don't think they were, actually. I can't remember. And it had um, maybe some Bilstein dampers. And it had a Drexler LSD so it had, a, you know, a, okay. a fair amount yeah, of kit. Yeah, proper stuff, actually. Yeah, a really, some really good kit chucked at it. And it was an interesting car, that. I think it was 22 grand when the equivalent Fiesta was 16. So, it, you know, immediately Ooh. it was a bit of a no-hoper. Yeah. Um, it also had a shonky interior and a very, very bouncy, unsettled ride and a not particularly satisfying engine. However, I did um, a hill climb at Gersten Down which I think is in Dorset or somewhere around there, um, which is a really cool hill climb. Uh, Gersten Down, uh, it's almost hinted at in its name, is one of the few hill climbs in the country that starts off downhill. Um, oh, blimey, okay. Away from the line, you just drop down for, I don't know, 50, 100 metres or something, and then you start sweeping uphill again. Um, and I did this, this hill climb school day uh, at this place in my Corsa VXR Club Sport, um, and it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. We had, okay, hot hatches are well suited to that kind of thing anyway, but there were dozens of other people and other cars there, 
almost all of them more powerful, more exotic machines. And the Corsa was the quickest thing all day by a margin. That's, that's the driver. That's the driver for you, though. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the no, car. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was, it was, it was me. Um, no, no, it was the car because with that diff, it was extraordinary. The thing just wouldn't understeer. All you would do is yeah. you'd fling it into a corner faster than it should be able to get around, and then nail the throttle, and the diff would hook up and drag you through. Um, one of the oh, this is a little bit of uh, tooting of my own horn here, but I'm going to say it. One uh, one of the instructors they were watching from halfway up the course, um, and he said that as I came through, and I, I you know I I really do think it is just the car that did this with that diff. Um, they they said that as I came through and turned into one of the corners, they all took a step back because they thought I was off. Um, and I said to them, actually, do you know what? I, I knew it was fine because that diff just drags you out of trouble. Um, it was it was extraordinary. And so so ever since that day, um, I've I've had a kind of soft spot for those cars, even though I know objectively they're not that good. Yeah, and a, fi- and a Fiesta would have just been, you know, that much better again, presumably. Yeah, it would have been. It, maybe not faster up that hill climb because they, the, the, well, certainly the earlier one doesn't have a diff. But, but, but no, but just more fun. Yeah, it would have been more fun. Um, okay, well, before we wind this down, let's have that row that we promised we'd have about the Mark Three Focus RS. Do you want to just give us thirty seconds just to remind us on why? you didn't like it yeah i mean well i I think i kind of already shot my bolt on this but i mean but basically it was just it was it was everything which you know i don't want to hatch to be it was four-wheel drive it was turbocharged and it was heavy a really heavy car um and i can remember the time they say oh yes i know but we've done this and the others in the sky well they hadn't um and i know it was quick in a straight line and i know that it had lots of power and i didn't hate it i really didn't hate it at all i just didn't think it was anything like as good as everybody else did um and you know and frankly i didn't think it was anything like as good as some previous um ford hot hatchbacks have been particularly um the mark 1 focus rs so yeah it's not so much that um as i say i didn't like it it's just that when i got to it having i think i was probably wasn't first or even close to being first to it having read what everybody else had said about it i can remember just getting in it and thinking they've been driving a different car because this does not compute what they are talking about ain't the car i'm driving um but it quite clearly was um and and, and obviously you take a you, you take a different view well this isn't going to be much of an argument because i <laughs> sadly i i mostly agree with what you're saying there, there are certain things that were I think unforgivable. Like the seating position, um, there were two seat options, and I think one of the seat options was worse, less good. Um, the, the seat just mounted so high, um, high enough that I, I just kept checking, thinking there must be a lever somewhere. There, I must be able to lower this seat, um, and you couldn't. And also the the engine, that two point three uh, turbocharged engine, was very flat. Just pretty uninteresting it never really got going and lit up you know through through to the the red line it it's quite a bland thing however I, I, well I, I will also say it was the most overhyped car that i've been aware of in in my time in this industry um i mean there were there were people left right and center declaring it the greatest hot hatch of all time which clearly it wasn't um absolute cobbles. yeah yeah absolute yeah exactly but what I liked about it, and I think it probably was because it was four-wheel drive, is that if you got it on 
a good sweeping road. So a, a B road or an A road with good sweeping corners rather than a very stop-start one. I I got into this rhythm, and I've done it a, a couple of times in Focus RSs, of turning into a corner and feeling the car, even on the way in, but certainly on the way out, neutralise and under power it begin just to slightly slide out um, as you get through the apex and through to the, the exit of the corner. Um, and it was a, it's a sensation that I've not actually experienced in, in a, a four-wheel drive hot hatch before. And I, I adored it. I, just, I loved that sensation. Um, I remember doing cornering shots, so back and forth in one of these cars um, through the same corner. Um, and by the end of it, the roads, even though I wasn't doing, uh, you know, power slide shots, the road was just smeared with tyre, tyre rubber, um, where the car had been skating in this kind of neutral balance through the corner. And, and, and it was just that, that sensation that made me quite like that car. Although, okay, well, yeah, I do accept that it was flawed in many many yeah. other ways well i mean it may, it may be that i never drove it in that current environment i mean i can remember driving it on quite good roads but i can also remember driving it on a track and i can remember you kind of had to uh, you kind of had to sort of bully it on the track i mean you could it it it, it, it either just kind of went fairly doggedly um where you pointed it um or you could really lob it and then it would go into it would it'd be almost like it would think oh right okay so he wants to drift a bit now so we better do that but it always felt a bit sort of what's the word it's not mechanical it's it it, it didn't feel natural mm, it bit felt forced. a bit yeah. um forced forced is the word forced is the word yeah, yeah. okay but, i can't really argue with that um we're, we're gonna have to try harder in future to have arguments <laughs> oh well okay here's, this is this is an argument this is, this is a question because i'm not, not actually sure what my opinion is on this um GT, uh, Golf GTI or Golf R. So, you know, 300 horsepower rather than 230, four-wheel drive rather than front-wheel drive. I mean, it, with all that we have been saying through this podcast, you would expect us to go, oh, no, 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 the Golf GTI is the one because it's front-wheel drive and it's lighter and it's purer um, and you don't need all that extra power. Um, but do you know what? I love a Golf R. I really do. I've had some. I've had some of my best drives of recent years in sort of you know cross-country roads in bad weather in golf r's so yeah i don't know what to think what do you think yeah i, I ran one at evo for a year and i just it, a brilliant thing all around um i think it's worth noting that not all gti's were born equal um because you need to have the performance pack i think they call it um you get a bit more power and a diff i think and the dip, better the dip is so important yeah, yeah exactly um and then then i think a, a golf gti gives it gives the r a real run for its money but yeah if it was me i think i'd probably take the r um so maybe it is the exception to the hot hatch rule um but there are there will inevitably be some um okay well, well let's wind this podcast up by having a quick think about where we are with hot hatches now and what the the, the near future might bring for them um, I mean, one of the trends that we've seen recently is for, well, for me, hot hatches that sort of stretch the definition just as much as those two-seat hot hatches do, because is a 50 grand, 400 horsepower hot hatch really a hot hatch, or is it a hyper hatch or something a, else? You're talking about an A45 AMG. Exactly, that sort of thing, an RS3, yeah. And RS3s. Um that's a good question, uh, and I wish I knew you were going to ask it because I, I mean, to, to, I think they are, 
because I don't know what disqualifies them. I mean, if you okay, if you say that a uh, a Mark III Focus RS is a hot hatchback, I can't really see why an A45S isn't. Um, it's it's a different sort of hatchback. As actually, that's a hatchback I actually like. I think more than um, a lot of others do. I thought it was um, a really pretty capable thing, um, and obviously very rapid. So yeah, I think it probably is. Um, yeah, but in, in a way, certainly that um, those two seat hatchbacks are not. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, for, for me, it's the affordability point. You know, fifty k is is not within realistic reach. Um, no, you're absolutely right. But I, yeah, I mean, I can acknowledge that they are phenomenally fast. Those things now, and actually, I've not driven the, the new A forty five S, but yeah, people not least yourself, do tell me that it's very, very good. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the A35 is, is, is no great shape. So the A35, I guess, is the sort of, the, is, is the, well, it's not the Golf GTI, is it? It's the Golf R, but then the A45 is the Golf RR, if you like. Um, the A35 is, is, is nothing right hand about at all, but the A45 is, is quite a weapon, definitely. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, let's very quickly cover off the future of the hot hatch, which probably we're talking about hybridity. Um, and given that, We've agreed mostly that brilliant hot hatches are simple, light, uh, not too powerful. I mean, it's not entirely encouraging, is it, that presumably we're going to be carting, you know, a big electric motor and a heavy stack of batteries around in these cars soon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think they'll I think they'll keep off for as long as they possibly can, because, you know, hybrids not not only add weight, but they add cost, too. Um and you know you can't be charging lots of money for your hot hatchbacks uh, and that's one of the things that we love about them is they're just so accessible um so i mean for me i think we are actually in a pretty good era for hot hatch because you know if i think about it you know i can without thinking very hard at all name you know pro- i could probably name 10 really decent hot hatchbacks that are on the market you know from you know right down the bottom sort of you know suzuki swifts up to you know a45s so i think that this has been a pretty this is a pretty good era for the hot hatch and so i think people at the moment kind of understand what the market wants and what people want and i can't see in the short term um that changing too much in the longer term yeah, I don't know. I well, I I worry about all sorts of genres being you know messed over by hybrids. You know, supercars being among them. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, we've had. I, I don't know. What did we? Okay. Well, let's just agree for the sake of argument that 1976 was the year the hot hatch was born. Um, so we've had almost 50 years of great and some uh, some not so great hot hatches. But long may it continue because they add such. Um, such vibrancy and such life to the performance car market um, and I, j- I just hope that I get to keep driving them for, for the rest of my days um, do, you, do you want to uh, put your neck on the line and declare one uh, the greatest of all the hot hatches? Well you know what I'm going to say don't you? You're going yeah, um, yeah, to say the Escort RS Cosworth Exactly correct, yes <laughs> to, 205 GTI I suppose it's it it, 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 it is a 1.925 gti um, um you know i've i haven't driven all of them but i've probably yeah i must have driven the vast majority of them and i've, and I've certainly never driven anything that i think i said earlier in the podcast um to me captures the essence of what that sort of car should be better than that there we go there we, a good definitive answer there um 
Okay, all right, well, let's leave it there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and thank you, Andrew, for your time as well. And please remember, everyone, that you can find Drive Nation on Instagram at drivenation underscore. Um, if you want more from us, go and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash drive nation. There'll be a link to that um, in, in the description of this podcast. Um, and a huge thank you, as ever, to everybody who has supported us on Patreon. It really does make a difference. Um, and we'll be back to talk to you again next week. Yeah, look forward to it very much. Bye, everyone. The Drive Nation Podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.